for love, for Padme! <laughs> Hello, fellow geeks. This is Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. You are part of a small but powerful group of people we call Story Geeks. Fans of science fiction, fantasy, and comic books who love to dig deeper into geek stories to see how they impact us and the culture around us. These aren't just stories that help us escape. These stories shape our world. How? That's what we're discussing today. Thank you for joining us, and please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future Story Geeks conversations. On today's episode, we're diving back into Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith, and closing out George Lucas's prequel trilogy. Hopefully you join us for part one. If not, the link is in the show notes below. Joining me on the show today, like in the part one, is Nathan Sheck, co-founder of the Reclamation Society, Seth Fontaine, co-founder of Urban Vinyl, the premium headphone company, which you should check out if you need headphones, and Mark Herleman, who is also the co-founder of the Star Wars Report and the host of Star Wars Beyond the Films podcast. You should also check those out if you get a chance. Our spoiler-free review occurred in part one of this podcast, so if you want to listen to that and you haven't seen Revenge of the Sith yet, go ahead and click the link in the show notes below. All of this podcast will contain spoilers, so just know if you haven't seen Revenge of the Sith and you don't want to be spoiled, this is your spoiler warning. You can go ahead and click off now. All right, let's dive into part two. And like I mentioned, the link to part one is in the show notes if you want to start there. Okay, so now we're going to transition and we're going to talk Plagius. Yes. Um, now, I haven't read the novel, and I'm absolutely positive that Mark has, <laughs> based on his extensive knowledge. Um, so, I know that only, based on what I read um, in researching this question a little bit, uh, only parts of that novel are currently canon, I believe. So... Yeah, that's a trick question there. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, the first question I have with Plagius and Sidious is... Um, do you believe that Plagius or Sidious created Anakin through the manipulation of the midichlorians? Why or why not? And I'll ask you that question first, Mark. Well, well, real quick. So aspects of the story are considered canon, but nothing about the book itself is considered canon. Just, just for those people. Okay, perfect. That's great. That's great. Yes. Um, basically when you see something from a legends book get referenced, like Malachor showing up in the Clone Wars. That doesn't mean that the KOTOR game with the battle at Malachor and stuff happened. There's right. probably a battle that happened there. We're going to find out the new version of it, kind of like Thrawn. Uh, you know, Thrawn is a, a canon version of Thrawn. He's not the same Thrawn, although mm -hmm. there are aspects of that story that came across that whole truth in Legends. Uh, but getting to the actual question itself, uh, I always felt that Palpatine, when he mentions that Plagueis had also created life when he was talking about the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the Wise, I think that that's heavily implied that that's where it came from. I mean, legends flat out, they pretty much say it was Plagueis. I mean, they kind of hint that it might have been Plagueis or it might have been Sidious himself. Uh, but most people have agreed that it was Plagueis that did it and Palpatine kind of then realized what was going on and took it over as his pet project and kept watching Anakin from there. So I think canon should go back and, I mean, I don't think we should get necessarily another Darth Plagueis story 
but I would absolutely love a Darth Sidious story where we go back and we learn the same mm-hmm. thing and, and go back to when Plagueis finds him and stuff and learn that all from Palpatine's point of view and go from there. Because when Plagueis was over, I kept feeling like, you know, a, a, a Sidious novel would be a perfect stepping stone to go from there. Uh, Legends, they played with the clones of Palpatine and stuff. And that was something canon didn't do. Mm-hmm. And so with that divide, like you could go back and tell a legend story where it was a Sidious story and you found out like, oh, this is when Palpatine started using the clones and and he hadn't perfected the transfer you know and do something like that but they could do something like that in canon as well where we find out you know specifically that you know they're not going that clone route so maybe they focus on the metachlorians and find out that palpatine too was trying to work on him and he was going off of plagueis's notes and stuff and trying to duplicate it and we find out that you know plagueis created anakin and maybe palpatine created a whole bunch of others that weren't pure uh, you know, but they were also abominations of the force, you know, stronger than a normal Jedi or something, but weren't pure. I don't know. There's they're something hmm. I'd love to see him go back and play with for sure. That'd be cool. You should write that story. That's a cool idea right there. <laughs> uh, Nathan, what do you think? Anything? Who, who do you think uh, created Anakin? Yeah, I mean, just based on the movie, I was never quite sure whether he was inferring it was Plagueis or himself. But yeah, if, if the general consensus is Plagueis, yeah, that makes sense. Um, one other thing that's interesting is I think it, it makes sense from a storytelling perspective because otherwise kind of that throwaway line in Phantom Menace about basically the virgin birth, it's like incredibly random <laughs> and, and way too on the nose as a, like a Messiah reference if, if like that's the only point of it. So I think it makes a lot of sense for that to be what was intended. I'm wondering if maybe there's a little more to it than it seems like at first. Like, for example, we already know that they're master manipulators. So Mm -hmm. I think it would be kind of fun if it wasn't just that they were messing around with, hey, we can create, you know, super force beings or whatever. Um, But what if, for example, the Sith knew about this prophecy and they're like, okay, well, if you guys want a chosen one, how about we give you one, Mm. you know, that maybe, that maybe is a little bent toward, you know, kind of the direction we might want to take it. Um, And, you know, we know that Palpatine has a thing for implanting subliminal messages in beings he creates that he can then activate later to carry out certain orders easily. So it'd be interesting if that all kind of came full circle. And that's, that's also what this whole thing was. And so not only were the Sith trying to manipulate the entire prophecy of the Force toward their own ends, but, but as usually happens with you know, stories about prophecies, they actually are the ones who ended up fulfilling it in the first place. I like it. I like That's it. great. What do you think, Seth? So I was a big believer that Plagueis was the original creator of Anakin um, until... I found part of the original script of Revenge of the Sith that mm. cut out a part. Um, it's only four lines, but I'll go ahead and read it. And it, it's funny that you said earlier with the whole, during the dark, the, the Count Dooku scene, how Palpatine turns around and it's very uh, Return of the Jedi-esque. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another part that Lucas was trying to do that eventually got cut from the movie that was trying to mirror Emperor Strikes Back. And so... Uh. Do you want me to do a, a Sidious voice? I don't think do I can it. do it. Yeah, do it. Yeah, do it. <laughs> I'll do a voice next time. If I have to do Yoda, I'll do Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's the original script. It's only four lines. Um, and it's when 
Sidious is revealing himself to Anakin that he is, in fact, Sidious. And so, <clears throat> Dark Sidious, I have waited all these years to fulfill, for you to fulfill your destiny. I arranged for your conception. I used the power of the Force to will the Metachlorians to start cell divisions that created you. Anakin, I don't believe you, Darth Sidious. Ah, but you know it's true. When you clear your mind, you will sense the truth. It's, you could almost think of me as your father. And then Anakin goes, that's impossible. And so... And then, he, then he falls down into a... Into a <laughs> yeah. okay. um, so now seeing that, I guess it really was George Lucas's original plan to have Sidious be Anakin's quote-unquote father. Uh, um, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so I have no evidence to add to this this at all. Mark and Seth and Nathan have already added all the evidence. The only thing I will say is that for me, I don't really like Plagueis or Sidious being the creator of Anakin. Mm-hmm. Don't really like it. Why not? Now, well, because I feel like it's, um, I feel like it's basically, no, there is, okay, there's one part of it that I will say I do kind of like, and that is that even things that were created for nefarious means can be redeemed, which it is, right? Like, mm-hmm. Anakin is redeemed in the end. But, um, but overall, it just feels like it's, it's, taking things too far like who's the next like what, what's Snoke gonna do oh I've created this entire army of different people <laughs> and they're all super force people I mean I like Mark's idea of saying like maybe there are some other quote unquote super soldiers that turned out wrong you know but yeah. I don't know I just for some reason it just doesn't feel to me like it's I'd, it'd be better if it wasn't a sentient being right mm-hmm. like he created some creatures or he created something I else see. like that right now, I will say also that to bring up um, Nathan's point about the virgin birth, whether it's a Messiah reference or whether it's another religious, spiritual, mythical reference, that's been done a billion times. So that's not my favorite either, which leaves me with, leaves me with my opinion being, I just kind of hope it was the midichlorians. Mm-hmm. Now, now that's, now that's kind of stupid because, you know, like, why would that be interesting? I don't know. But just well, I have a theory the on that. Yeah, yeah, let's hear it. So the theory on that is the Sithari prophecy. Now, legends, the Sith had a Sithari prophecy, which was the Sithari will free, the the Sithari will be free of limits. The Sithari will lead the Sith and destroy them. The Sithari will raise the Sith from death and make them stronger than before. And the theory was that Plagueis was trying to create the Sithari. Mm. And while he was doing that, the Force reacted and created Anakin. Mm. Again, that's all all prophecy, Uh. but... The thought could be, though, in the aspect of truth and legends, what if Snoke is the Sithari? You know, I mean, we ask the aspect of, well, is he a Sith or not? Well, at this moment, the Sith are dead. But if he brings them back from death, then that would put him in the camp of being close to being what the Sithari were. In legends, Bane considered himself the Sithari and Palpatine did. Uh, Palpatine was actually quoted as saying, prophecies are generally wishful thinking. The fact that the (laughs) Sith created their own savior myth is predictable. Yet... These predictions seem uniquely specific to the actions that I am taking now. I am not a creature of superstition, but if the robes of the Sathari fit, I see no reason not to claim them. So I, that's, you know, a, a definitely something to think about is that whole prophecy as well, because, you know, in Legends, that was definitely something that played a factor into a lot of fan theories, at least. That's cool. I like yeah, that. That's yeah. really cool. I like that kind of take on it, too. By the way, um, just as a complete offshoot and a, a separate note, um, 
There's a book, I believe, I want to say it's a Paul S. Kemp book that is, I believe, considered canon, actually, because I think it came out last year, where uh, Vader and Palpatine are pursuing, like, this Lords of, of the Sith. Yes, 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 yes. That showcases the a lot of the extent of Palpatine's power, and it's mm-hmm. ludicrous how much power, how powerful that dude is. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so that's worth a read if you're interested in how powerful... Put it on my long list of books. Yeah, that's definitely the aspect of the canon books that's playing out. Like that book, it's like it's more into Vader and 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 Palpatine. Then you got Tarkin, that's about Tarkin, Thrawn about Thrawn, Ahsoka about Ahsoka. They're definitely all more character driven stories than ever before. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, All right, let's jump into the next question. The Jedi Council allows Anakin to be Palpatine's personal bodyguard slash representative. Um, which means that Anakin is allowed to sit on the Jedi Council, but they actually refuse him the rank of Master. So this is, do you agree with Anakin, because his reaction is that this is super unfair, mm-hmm. so do you agree with Anakin, or do you think that Windu and Yoda are making the right choice, and what would you have done? And we'll start with Seth first. Um yeah, I mean, again, looking at it from Anakin's perspective, I think it's extremely unfair. Um, I touched on that a little bit earlier, but going more in depth with it, um, you you find out that Sidious or Palpatine has been putting all this negative propaganda against the Jedi during the entire Clone Wars, except Anakin, mm. who was considered as a war hero. And that was all obviously part of his master plan. So when you have the people and the Senate and the, and the Chancellor all saying Anakin needs to be on the Council... Uh, you know, the Jedi kind of had their hands tied. They, yeah. they felt like he needed to. But here's Yoda and Mace Windu saying that they don't trust Anakin. They find him unpredictable. They don't think he's experienced. They don't think he's ready. And so it's a, it's a conflict of interest. It's what the masses are saying versus what the few are saying. And so, um, I mean, if I was in Yoda and Windu's position, I would have done the same thing, mm. especially because I want information on Palpatine, who's been in office way longer than he was supposed to, right. who doesn't look like he's going to give up his emergency powers anytime soon, right. you know. And then obviously, or not obviously, um, also there's all this dark side shrouding Palpatine, and who's uh, this guy's best friend? Well, Anakin is. Yeah. So yes, let's you know give him the spot. He's not necessarily a master because you know this, this, and this, but we do want to know what's going on. And if he does this for us, then maybe we can grant him the rank of master, and then they'll in turn please everybody else yeah um but you know from anakin anakin doesn't see the whole manipulated side that the jedi are trying to do and that palpatine's trying to do so to him it's just a big slap in the face you guys are putting me on the council only because you want to use me right so what about you mark well it's a difficult one because the jedi they see palpatine is clearly manipulating anakin and what plays into their fear is that they know for a fact that there is a sith close to palpatine and so you know they're they're curious about that. They know that Palpatine's pushing this, so they know it's because the Sith want it done. And they're willing to concede only for the, the fact of saving the public face, but they're not going to grant him all the rights to it. And by that, what that really means is that by being a master, Anakin can walk into the Jedi Temple Library and access mm. any holocron, any information he needs. And so for him, this position is what he desperately needs to save Padme because the mm. holocrons have the forbidden knowledge or the the heretical knowledge or the knowledge that they're not really ready to let any regular Jedi have. It needs to be the most tempered against the dark side. And so he's not ready for that. He's not... 
you know, he's matured a lot throughout the war, but he's still got a lot of problems. He hasn't reached mastery. And so that's where they're at. They're like, we'll, we'll grant you the right to sit on the council, but you're not a master yet. And Anakin's response isn't so much that he's not being given that opportunity. The response is that he's going to lose his wife because of the fact mm. that he's not able to get that information. And that's something that's played up huge in the novelization. Mm. And when you realize that, you're, I mean, your heart breaks for him because he got what he wanted. But right. he didn't get it exactly how he needed it. He needed, he only needed the title of master so he could get at those holocrons. And without that title, he is still just as helpless as he was before. The only thing that has worked has been for Palpatine. And what does it continue to do? It puts Anakin on the outs. Now they don't trust Anakin because now Anakin's starting to act really shady. Why do you want to be a master so bad, dude? He doesn't tell him because he's got selfish motives here because he's hiding the fact that he's married and he's got his wife knocked up. Right. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. if, if Anakin could have been open about that love stuff, like you were saying, Nathan, you know, the fact that, that they weren't really... You know, they ditch love in general when they shouldn't have ditched love. They should have just ditched certain aspects of the love, you know, focused more on it. Had a love counselor more, more or less. And I think that that's, that's really the heart of everything with Anakin that falls apart is it's that desperation to save Padme that makes him start to see the Jedi as villains. When he thinks that at the final point that Mace is willing to kill Sidious, he thinks the only way he can save Padme is to kill Mace. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's a messed up line of thought, but... The book puts you in Anakin's perspective and you realize he has no other choice. He is really against the wall. Palpatine has manipulated the Jedi who have manipulated Anakin to the point that he has nothing but to fall into Palpatine's trap. Yep. Yeah, and, and I could not agree more. And, and the funny thing to me is that the Jedi are not sophisticated enough to see what they're doing to Anakin. I know that they don't have all the information. Right, like you guys have talked about, like there's a shroud of the dark side that is clouding their 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 judgment, all this kind of stuff. But like, can you not see that you're turning the kid into a monster? Like, <laughs> well, Kenobi can, but again, it gets back to that aspect of love. Kenobi's afraid to say anything, least Anakin's issue with love becomes his master's issue with love. Going back to, well, you know, yep. Qui Gon was always doing his own thing anyway. Clearly, we picked the wrong three Jedi to lead Anakin. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's, so I, I actually think like if it were, if it were me, now I have all the context that Yoda and Windu do not have, but for me, I would have said like, no, you can't, you can't even put him in that place because at the same time, Windu is saying, I don't trust him. He then says, but we'll make him, we'll allow him to be Palpatine's personal bodyguard essentially and be, put him in the place of him being most exposed to where we at least think the danger is emanating from. Yeah. It just seems like some bad choices that they maybe seemed a little <laughs> desperate on. Yeah. And instead of taking the leadership role of saying, like, this is the right thing to do, they went like, let's just do it and hope that it turns out okay. And obviously, <laughs> it did not. <laughs> so anything else that you want to wrap up in that? Slap in the forehead, like, duh, kind of moment after. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> after exactly. the fact. Um, that brings us to sort of the second part of that question, which we've touched on a little bit, but just to kind of close the loop there. Um the Jedi Council asks Anakin to spy on Palpatine. Um, and Anakin doesn't like that. He says it's against the Jedi Code, which, by the way, Obi-Wan agrees with. He's like, well, I'm not asking you. It's the other guys. Um, <laughs> so do you think it's fair to ask that of Anakin? And I'll start with you, Mark. Well, first and foremost, it was illegal. 
Uh, so no, it wasn't fair of them to ask Anakin. And in fact, they should have recognized that Anakin was already in a bad place and that by doing so, putting him even further on the outs with the Order itself. I mean, basically, like I said, they all but forced him into Palpatine's camp. I mean, they made yeah. him feel like he was completely on the outside looking in, especially when you consider the fact that they wouldn't make him the master. So it all in the end, for Anakin, it implies a complete lack of trust, which if you think about from Anakin's point of view at this point, you know, you went from being the slave, you became a war hero, you you raised a Padawan that could have been a Jedi who chose to do a better thing and walk away. I mean, he really does deserve to have this. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anybody else want to add anything to that? I, I, I actually just 100% agree with yeah. both those takes. Nathan, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I agree. It does seem interesting that, that, yeah, they're kind of immediately kind of willing to break the law that they're so worried about Palpatine. <laughs> um and and that it seems like it should have been a pretty obvious mistake with what he was already going through. I, I almost wonder if they could have gotten around both of those if they had really just trusted him a little more, or at least let him see that they trusted him and been mm. more like, "Hey, we're we're kind of worried about this kind of thing. Maybe while you're there, you know, pay attention. We we think there's some stuff going on, yeah. but but now you're going to be in a position." where you can can try to figure this out rather than hey we need records of all your friends logs so we can go over them you know no that's that's it in a nutshell i mean yeah. had they told him like legends provides that they had a couple Jedi that were on the trail of Sidious from Maul, going all the way back to Shadowhunter. And they eventually, at this point, they have located the fact that the Sith is in Republic of 500 or 5000. And at this point, they're pretty sure it's Sidious himself. And they're afraid to say it to Anakin. Had they told him that, Anakin would have been like, oh, okay, I'll look. And then when Sidious says, hey, you know, it's the dark side, Anakin wouldn't have just ignited the lightsaber. He'd have probably drawn it and started using it. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Anything you want to add, Seth? No, I mean, that, they pretty much got it. Yeah, yeah, I <laughs> it's agree. just, you know, the Jedi asking them to break or breaking the law, it's very shady from Anakin's point of view. So, yep. yeah. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates, which, by the way, you should do anyways. So go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now. So up to the, we're just talking about Anakin's character arc at this point, up to the end of episode three, so of Revenge of the Sith. He's pulled out of slavery, taken from his mother, who he's not allowed to visit, um, and you can see Yoda's attachment theory actually in play. Like he's really, like literally not allowed to go back to his mom. Um, his mother dies, he falls in love with Padme, Padme's life is, hangs in the balance because he can see the future and, and see that she's going to die. Um, he does do a considerable amount of good, especially if you look outside this movie into mm -hmm. the Clone Wars and see what some of the stuff that he's done. Um, but he also slaughters the sand people who killed his mom. In this film, he chops Dooku's head off. He pursue, proceeds to choose Palpatine over the Jedi Order. Um, which means he has to murder the younglings, and then he has to murder the Separatist leaders, and he even, um, to a certain extent, confronts Padme, 
which is uh, striking. Um, do you sympathize with Anakin and his character arc, and can you understand his choices in Revenge of the Sith? Why or why not? Seth, we'll start with you. Um, well, it's funny because you know I'm I'm around Anakin's age, so I I think I fit I could fit really good into his eyes. <laughs> And, you know, had I been in his position, going through all those things that we previously talked about, the slavery and then the war hero and all that stuff, um, and then now to this point where he finds out that the Jedi are actually really are corrupt and evil, mm -hmm. um, according to him, you know. Um, you know, his closest friend Palpatine is the Sith Lord that they've been looking for. You know, he thinks that his best friend, well, one of his best friends, Clash Mentor, is having an affair with his wife. And... He has no one else to turn to. Everyone, everything he knows and everything he has known, it's just, it's all gone. Right. You know, and he, he's just, he, I feel like he's lost. Mm -hmm. And he has nothing, the only thing he can hold on to is Padme because she's the only one, had she not been, you know, having an affair with Obi-Wan, uh, who he can still trust. Right. And he's going to do anything he can to hold on to the one thing that's left in his life. Um, so, I mean, I, it's, it's very tragic, you know, to think about all the things, looking this deep into it, it's very, very tragic and sad what happens to Anakin. Absolutely. And I, I definitely feel bad for him. Absolutely, yeah. Well, love was definitely the only thing constant for Anakin, the only thing that he could keep with him and take with him. And by the time we see Padme's life being threatened by his visions, you know, that's, that's when he starts to panic because it's the one thing that he can lose. For me, I, I really can only sympathize with him when I'm looking at it from the Legends universe. I mean, he's desperately trying to save his wife. The real tragedy is his lying about the love. You know, had he been able to be open about that, so many things would have been different. But he had to keep that a secret, you know, and, and everything moving forward, it, it all comes around that. And saving her to the point that, like you said, you know, it even comes to the point where he's confronting her towards the end. Because at that point, he's in so deep, he's, he's lost all sense of why he was doing this to begin with. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Mm -hmm. I actually started to break it down myself based on the different decisions that he made and what I could have made in, in between. So, like, for example, like, I can understand his desire to rescue his mother and his resentment to the council for not allowing him to do that. That makes a ton of sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, I, res I understand his resentment of the, uh, to the council for forbidding him to love Padme. That yeah. makes sense to me. To a degree, I get the slaughter of the adult male sand people, though I don't condone it. I kind of get where he's yeah. coming from with that. Although slaughtering the females and the children blows my mind because that's, that's out of line, right? I'm undecided on Dooku's death because that could go either way, right? Like I can see him being convinced that like Dooku probably sh should be killed. Um, I'm undecided about choosing Palpatine because at, at first I can see why he would choose Palpatine, but then there's other moments in there that don't make sense. And by the way, I'm referring strictly to the movie at this point because what, a lot of what you guys have talked about about the book actually solve a lot of this for me. Yeah. So um, that would be I need to read it basically. <laughs> um, uh, I think he needs to get Palpatine's power to save Padme. So I get that. Um, but then he also says that he's going to rule the galaxy with that power. So I'm like. Well, that's a bit of a jump to go from like, I'm going to save you to, and then we're going to make the world a better place. Like, mm -hmm. um, like Michael Young said in the podcast number one, we're going to make the galaxy great again. Um, so, and then killing the separate le the separatist leaders. Okay. I maybe see that 
So the things that I can't see, I can't see anyone making these decisions or getting behind these decisions. So his character arc in this way, I do not understand, is killing the younglings. Yeah. That's like crazy town. Like you think of all the things that someone could do that are bad. Like that is awful. Like there's yes. no making up for that. 100%. Um, almost killing Padme. Now see, the jealousy aspect that you guys have talked about in the book, actually that makes more, far more sense to me. Um, given that. So I might put that in the I'm undecided category. Not, again, not condoning it, but do I understand why he's doing it? Um, but the killing of the younglings, I still can't get over that. So there's well, let me help you with that there. one. Yeah, please, I've been please. thinking about that one a lot. Okay. And so at this point, by the time he's sent there, he's already become Lord Vader. Palpatine basically says, at this moment, all the Jedi, even your friend, are going to hunt us down. It doesn't matter whether we're doing good or bad, they're going to stop us. So... On one hand, he's going to wipe out all the Padawans and stuff to wipe out all the Jedi that are at the temple to stop them from stopping them from taking over. Because at this point, Anakin's convinced the Jedi are 100% bad. They've got to be stopped. Mm -hmm. The other side of it is Palpatine's been telling him, if you're strong enough in the dark side, you'll be able to have the power you need mm -hmm. once we have this technique. Uh -huh. So go and kill these Padawans, and that will make you strong enough in the dark side. And so then when you go back and you think about, well, when he killed all the, the women and children, right? Like, think about, have you ever been so angry that you just start destroying one thing and it turns into like you thrash your entire room, right? <laughs> well, now imagine if you've got a lightsaber and it just goes through things like an invisible blade. How quick? I mean, look at Kylo Ren. He wiped out a whole console. It was really quick and easy. I think Anakin at this point, he's just driven by the rage and anger of losing his mom that he just wipes out everything that's standing. And it's not until that it's all done that the red in his eyes just dissipates and he's no longer seeing that red. I mean, I, I don't know if you guys have ever been in that point where you've been just so mad that you ended up getting in a fight and you've pushed things too far, you know, where you, you've left somebody seriously hurt because of your anger. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where he was at that moment. And then you go further with now Palpatine has convinced them or convinced Anakin that all the Jedi are bad and that even these younglings are going to follow in the same footsteps as your friend, Obi-Wan, who you love. But even you've recognized that Obi-Wan's willing to ask you to do things that are illegal, immoral, and wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, he's, he's completely pulled the wool over his eye at this point. Mm -hmm. And it's that aspect of wanting to save Padme that is the desire to help him go over the edge and say... Her life is more than your lives. You guys have proven you're not here for the galaxy. You're not here for anyone but yourselves. You're only worried about keeping the Jedi in power. And I'm going to take you guys out because it's not only going to help the galaxy, it's going to save my wife. Yep. So, I mean, he is just so caught up in all that selfishness that Palpatine's able to take those Rose Quartz glasses and turn them against the Jedi, just set him loose. Yeah, and also, I don't, I don't remember the specific quote, but basically either right before or after he becomes Vader, you know, he, he tells Palpatine, he's like, I will do whatever I have to. And he is already desperate at this point. And so if Palpatine's like, okay, you have to kill everyone in the Jedi temple. If his first thing is to be like, well, you know, maybe not. I, I'm not sure about this, you know, like that. He's not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I, I guess the part that I still struggle with is that, and I think you did a really good job, Mark, of articulating it. The one thing that I still have a hard time getting over is to choose to be the most villainous of villains mm -hmm. is still such a drastic choice, even when it comes to saving one of your loved ones. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it's, 
It's it I, has to be wrote well. Yes. I mean, think about Jason's solo. His fall was the same thing. I mean, yeah. he he looked in the future. He saw his daughter was going to be corrupted, and the only way to stop that was by him becoming a bad bad enough that all the Jedi and the galaxy rallied against him, and therefore he was able to stop what was going to happen. He created mm-hmm. an alternate timeline, and I mean, like it took that happening to Jason for me to realize, in a sense, that's kind of what happened to Anakin. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, so the next question is that, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit, so this might not be a long discussion, but at least we can touch on it real quick. Part of Palpatine's plan to seduce Anakin revolves around the statement that you need to understand the dark side, not flee from it. That's a direct quote from Palpatine. So what do you think about that? Should Jedi study the light and the dark side? What do you think about that, Mark? Uh, so that one, that one's tough because... On one hand, I feel like, you know, Palpatine in Legends, he had proven that there were ways for him to rewrite things to make it so Jedi would use dark powers. And basically, once they started using them, they were like crack and addicting and it would corrupt them. So there is that aspect. Like Lucas even said, the dark side was like a cancer. You kept coming back to it. It kept eating away at you and stuff. So on one hand, I'm like, no, stay away from it. But then there's the other side, like with Bane, where they would learn these techniques to defend themselves against attacks. So it's like there are aspects of it that I think, yeah, they, they kind of need to learn. But if you also look at Jason, you know, he went around the galaxy and he was learning all these force techniques and he was fine. It was only when he learned the Sith that he fell completely into the dark side because the Sith demands so much sacrifice. Mm. I mean, they're, they're not just sacrificing body parts. They're sacrificing their name. I mean, not just like I'm not going to be Anakin anymore. I'm going to be Darth Vader. But everybody that sees me as Anakin are going to realize I'm not Anakin anymore. I killed that mofo. I am now this bad <laughs> Darth Vader guy. And you don't want to cross me either. Uh, so I, I think that that plays up into it that, that you just – I don't think – Legends-wise, from everything I know legends-wise, I don't think you tempt with that. But if they go with canon and decide to make it the, the, the background on how the Jedi and Sith came to be, I think that we could have a totally different answer to that. Yeah, that's great. Nathan, what do you think? I think... I mean, yeah, basically that. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, it... Again, I think Palpatine's just saying things and... It's not like he really means, oh, Anakin, you know, you should get familiar with this because it's useful to know. I mean, obviously, no, he's just basically saying, yeah, it's fine. And it seems like it almost doesn't even matter Mm. in in the context of how he's using it. Mm. I think when it comes to how it matters is is one of those theories of the mask. Have you guys ever heard of the the dark side mask theory where Palpatine was using Sith alchemy and... Palpatine's face of Senator Palpatine was an alchemy mask. He had been so into the dark side that he always looked the way he looked after Mace launches the lightning at him or it bounces it back into him. And that basically in that moment, Sidious decided to drop the mask. You know, and if you think about it like that, like, you know, the dark side, it corrupts you no matter what. Like, uh, there's this really cool aspect of it. Like, you don't want to go there. You just don't want to go there. It doesn't matter what you do. It's going to rot you from the inside out. Yeah. No, definitely. What do you think, Seth? Anything you'd add? Um, yeah, I think it's it's different studying the dark side versus actually practicing the dark side. Mm. And I think it is important, like I said earlier, you know, you got to argue both sides better than the other person. Um, mm-hmm. 
and so studying the dark side and at least knowing how how it works and how to defend yourself from it is i think a, should be an essential part of the jedi's teaching um, now as far as actually practicing it you know like mark said it's so consuming and it, it requires so much physically and mentally of each person to do it it's you know it practicing is a completely different yeah. you know it's like gun safety you know how a gun works you know how how to use it but you're not actually using the gun right so which is where mastery comes in you know the mastery is basically the license to run that gun you don't get Mm -hmm. to touch the holocrons until you're a master and they had sith holocrons i mean they so you know once you were a master you were free to look at all those in fact uh i think it was secrets of the jedi there was a book where dooku finds one of them and he goes and looks at some of the secrets in it because once you're able to get into that section of the library it's it's do what you want kind of scenario Mm -hmm. so maybe part of it is you've got to be the master so you're in the right mental space so you don't pull an Anakin like oh hey yeah you can learn these tricks but you got to be smart enough not to use them and you are too hot-headed you're going to use anything in your arsenal mm-hmm. right exactly I actually had the exact same answer as Seth because the thing I wrote down was I mean like just take it take it from our standpoint right it it is only beneficial to you to understand different spiritual perspectives mm-hmm. but I don't need to go sacrifice other human beings to like understand the Mayan belief system. Exactly. Right? I, I can read about the Mayan <laughs> belief system and go like, oh, here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. Yep. I don't need to actually go practice it. Exactly. Um, and I would say the same thing, like for any kind of spiritual beliefs you're going to explore. So th- I think it applies to this situation. Of course, it's good for you to know the dark side because otherwise you might slip into it without even knowing you're going there. Um, but at least you could study it and not like not participate in it, I think is a big component there. Yeah. Definitely. So we've talked about this. This gets talked about a lot in the context of the prequel films and them. They're actually usually criticized for this. They're said, usually people say, well, the, the prequel films are so political. And it's like said like, as if it's like a negative thing. Um, and I would say that the p- politics is central to the prequel trilogy. Yep. Um, what do you think about the political message, particularly of Revenge of the Sith, but all of the prequel films? And do you agree with that message? And I'll start with you, Nathan. Yeah, Sith was interesting because it actually felt like it focused a little less on much depth of the politics than the previous ones did. Mm -hmm. And even when it did, it felt a little perfunctory where there were a couple arguments. um, I don't quite remember what they were, but there was one where Padme was doing it and one where Obi-Wan was. And basically, the the final argument basically just came down to, like, but democracy. And that was about all they said about it. Rather than, at this point, it seemed like there were more specific issues they could have been focusing on than, than just that kind of as its own perfect goal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where we were dealing with the shadow of the Sith kind of coming over everything at this point, and they're worried about Palpatine and all this, and... And if, if Padme is still just like, oh, but he might mess with democracy, it, it seems like it's a little small for where things have gotten to uh, by where we are. Right. right. You got bigger problems on your hands than who's voting. What do you think, Seth? This is one of the more difficult questions for me to answer. Uh, I don't think I really have a good answer for this one, but you know, democracy, everyone fighting for democracy and, and getting their own rights was a big thing of it. Mm-hmm. But then on the side, you know, there's Palpatine manipulating everything yeah. to create his own version of 
quote unquote democracy, which is you know um, a dictatorship. <laughs> right, right. There's nothing. There's nothing democratic about that. So, I don't know. I I, I don't really have a good answer for this one, but I don't know. What, what do you think? What do you think, Mark? Okay. Well, Nathan was really close in the aspect of why uh, Revenge of the Sith doesn't feel as political as the rest. And that's the delegation of 2000. Everything with Padme that was left out that was in the book, that's all your political side. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there was 2000 senators that were signing a petition basically saying, you know, you've done enough with these powers. You need to step back. Uh, and just by her even being attached to that, it basically, and even Bail Organa, I mean, everybody that had their name attached to that was basically on Palpatine's radar, mm-hmm. which I think that's probably why he deleted it, uh, from the film is, is that way Bail would look less, you know, under the microscope. Right. Uh, but I think for me, the political message of the prequel trilogy is that strong leadership is needed. You know, that the politics, they can be corrupted. And the Sith, they have basically seized every opportunity while working in the shadows to make that moment come forward. I mean, you think about the first episode, it's all about Palpatine sliding into that position of power. <laughs> Everything from there is is all that. You know, the, the next movie, we see him get the powers he needs. And then in the third one, he's just like, all right, it's it's time. It's dictator time. I'm the emperor now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I don't think I can add much to that, but I do agree that his the message George Lucas is trying to convey is essentially that democracy is precious. We must pursue democracy at all costs. I think he actually sort of says like monarchy, oligarchy, any form of government where the government or those who govern can control others is dangerous at best and downright monstrous at worst. I think it's sort of the message that's coming across. But I also think that there's a subliminal message, which you guys have both already said, um, that is democracy is actually pretty fragile. Um, And as a system itself, uh, we need to take a lot of time and intention into making sure that the system doesn't corrupt itself. Because inherently, every system is corrupt. And it's just a matter of how corrupt can it get. Um, which is pretty interesting to me. So mm-hmm. uh, he definitely hits that home. I mean, the, the interesting thing, I think, Nathan, you, you were talking about the scenes where they talk a little bit about politics, and I thought it was kind of funny because um, Padme, I don't remember what Padme's actual quote was, and I know I've written it down in the notes below, but I won't look it up. And, and Anakin's response is, now you sound like a separatist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, it made me laugh. I don't know why. Um, yeah, it's, it's, she said, what if we've been you know, on the wrong side. What if we, the, the system that we've been supporting has been corrupt all along, something along those lines. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, what, that's exactly what it was. And then he's like, you're sounding like a separatist. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Except with not that emotion. Yeah. <laughs> not much emotion. <laughs> right. Okay, so now we're going to get into a, a, a pretty intense question because there's this Obi-Wan-Anakin fight. And Obi-Wan even says to the council before they, <laughs> it's so funny, please don't make me go, Talk to Anakin. Go talk to Anakin. <laughs> it's like, oh, thanks a lot. Um, and and that that produces this really brutal battle. In fact, um, I think an argument could be made that this film should have been rated R in some regards, just because of how brutal it gets near the end. There, um, I think it's probably the most brutal battle in a Star Wars film. You guys have to like, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but um, the question I have for you guys is. Do you think that Obi-Wan handles the situation appropriately? Why or why not? And I'll start with you first, Seth. Yeah, you know, 
looking from it from Obi-Wan's perspective, Anakin is like his brother, you know, someone he's been training, mentoring, and then who has grown and now becomes very, very close. And Anakin is Obi-Wan's best friend. You know, they've been together for, what, 15 years now? Almost 15 years? Mm-hmm. Um, all the time they're together and everything. But, and so he doesn't want to fight Anakin. You know, and you, you see that in the very beginning. He doesn't want, he tries to reason with Anakin and bring him back as any way he can. But he realizes that Anakin is already way too far gone. And mm-hmm. especially seeing what Anakin can do after watching the, the Holocron tapes, um, where, you know, he killed the Jedi and he killed Shakti. Well, it's in legends that he kills Shakti. Shakti dies like three different ways. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, and then which, who's a Jedi master? And then he goes and kills the younglings. And then like all these, he kills all the separatists. He just force choked uh, Padme. I mean, he sees what Anakin is capable of. And when your best friend is so far gone, I mean, you can't allow that kind of evil to continue on. Hmm. And um, I just I want to take a moment to just you know talk about this fight. It was so cool. It's just. <laughs> Um, Darth Maul's my favorite character, uh-huh. but I still think it was better than that first fight, you know. Uh, it just the, the lava going off behind it, the whole battle, how it's changing as they do it. It's just, it's brilliantly, ooh, brilliantly done. And, you know, a lot of people argue that Anakin should have overtaken Obi-Wan very easily. But then, you know, you forget that Obi-Wan was the one who trained Anakin. And so Obi-Wan knows how Anakin works. Obi-Wan knows all these different techniques. Plus, Obi-Wan was on the defense the entire fight. Right. So... Anyways, it was just it was very very well done, and I, I love the the like you know they clash the lightsabers and then the lava shoots out from right behind him like just like intensify the <laughs> Cinematic. moment. Cinematic. Yeah, it's very very cool. What was your take, Mark? Both well, and, you, and you can comment on the battle too because you guys well, all. That's said what I was gonna. I'm was going backwards battle. with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, the only thing missing in that exchange is the scene where Anakin and Obi Wan swap lightsabers. Uh, you can still see remnants of this when they're on, I think it's Obi-Wan's on his back or Anakin's on his back. One of them's on their back with the other one on top. They actually have each other's lightsabers because yeah. the scene before that, it was cut, but they ended up swapping sabers in the middle of the battle and that would have been so cool. That and the cool, only yeah. other battle I would say that's more brutal is in Legends and that's when Jason and Jaina fight in Invincible. Uh-huh. I mean, there's a moment where it's like uh, uh, Saw 2 where Jason's pulling like heroin needles out of his face and you're like, oh my God. Like, it's pretty, pretty dang violent. <laughs> yeah. Um but I don't know. I, I, for me, I think Obi-Wan handles the situation perfectly right up until he defeats Anakin. Uh, so, one, I don't think he should have ever let Anakin sat there and suffered like he should. I think he should put Anakin out of his misery. Yeah. Uh, you know, and saving the lightsaber, I used to think that was cold move, but clearly it's that sentimental side, you know, the side of Obi-Wan that shows that he's allowing Anakin to live. Uh, but I think that that's something that he learns later with Maul. I mean, you know, we see when, when Maul goes down, it's... It's done with respect, some reverence, and he makes sure that he's not coming back, where I think that that's because of Vader. I think the fact that Maul has come back around already and that he's seen that, you know, hey, you know, just cutting him in half isn't going to do it. I got to do more <laughs> than just chop off body parts. <laughs> so, like, I think that that's where the, the biggest flaw was, was allowing Anakin to live. And it's not just the flaw of the fact that he became Vader, but it seems so un-Jedi-like. I mean, mm. you revere life, and yet you've taken someone who was like a son to you, who has become like a brother to you, who is your best friend, who you love. You've cut off his arms and his legs, and you've got him laying in lava. He's catching on fire, and you're just going to let him burn? Like, 
Jesus, man, what did he do to you that made you that pissed <laughs> off that you could just sit there and watch him burn? Grab some marshmallows and roast him? Like, come on, man. Go down there and put him out of his misery. Pull an Anakin solo, put the lightsaber pommel to his mouth, and ignite. I mean, I, to me, that's the one thing that felt the most un-Jedi-like, mm. and yet fitting because that one choice allowed for the rest of the Jedi that survived to be wiped out by Vader later. Yep. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think, Nathan? Anything to add to those two perspectives? Well, okay. So the battle itself, yeah. I mean, it. I like how it was very well choreographed, but it it also looked less choreographed than, for example, the the mall fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it it made it feel more realistic, and also. At previous points in the film, we had seen Jedi using various other you know, lightsaber fighting styles, especially with Palpatine, whose is, you know, his is very different. But here, you know, it's, it's also incredibly obvious that they're both using the exact same technique, uh, which also kind of just reinforces the fact of both how close they were and how, you know, how Obi-Wan trained him, which of course then also comes up, and, and this has been mentioned before, um, but I thought it was a really good point where at the end, you know, after the infamous high ground quote, the next thing Obi-Wan says is, you know, don't try it, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Anakin goes ahead and does basically Obi-Wan's Darth Maul killing move anyway. Um, and on Obi-Wan, who, of course, knows about this and, you know, Obi-Wan's ready for it. So I think it's cool that 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 all makes sense. I also feel that, yes, the leaving Anakin there, it it does not make logical sense, but I also feel like by this point, Obi-Wan is not necessarily thinking logically. Yeah. You know, he's just gone through all of this, and I, you know, even though you can say, yeah, he should have put him out of his misery, I, I get the feeling he just couldn't. He just, maybe he wanted to, but there's just, he at that point, he had no more strength left to basically go and do it. You know, not that that was a great choice, but it, it just feels like it's all he could do. True. Now, to Anakin's credit, Obi-Wan uh, did not see how well he jumped off those creatures in Attack of the Clones when he's flirting with Padme. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he's probably thinking his, his skills have improved. Um, I think that you guys have maybe changed my perspective a little bit because my initial take on Obi-Wan's approach was that he was still too aggressive. Like, I, and, I, and I, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm kind of coming around because you guys are saying like, yeah, but look at all the things that he's seen Anakin do, mm-hmm. right? So I think you're probably right in that. But there's still a part of me that's like, you know, t- taken similarly, Luke approaching Vader. He knows all of the things that Vader's done to even his friends, to even the fact that Vader was trying to shoot him out of the sky um, in, the, in, in A New Hope. And yet he still consistently takes a, I'm going to fight you, but at the end, I'm going to throw my saber away. Like, um, and I guess that to a certain extent, Obi-Wan does that too, but man, he leaves the dude <laughs> basically dead. So I think that I agree with you guys now. You've turned my thinking around. But at the same time, I, there's still a shadow of a doubt there that Obi-Wan actually handled that completely appropriately. And 
And part of me thinks, too, that's why when he faces Vader again, he's like, you know what? This is not the end-all, be-all. Is living and having power. So just make me a Force ghost, basically. You almost have to wonder, like you mentioned when he jumped off the uh, creature for Padme, like, had Padme not put herself in a position where Anakin thought she was with Obi-Wan and was still with him, like, maybe he'd had just enough heart to do a jump for Padme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who should you choose? Which one can jump better? Me. And he just jumps. Um, for love! <laughs> for Padme! <laughs> you will not take her from me! <laughs> I like that. That would have been awesome. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, so uh, at the end of this film, we learn that Qui-Gon has discovered a path to immortality, um, and that is becoming a Force ghost. What do you think about that concept? And is that something that Jedi should even be doing or pursuing? And I'll turn to you for this one, Mark. Oh, I got a lot to think on this one. Well, so first and foremost, this has been something that's plagued the hell out of me for a long time. Mm. First, when did Qui-Gon learn to come back? Second, <laughs> why didn't he tell anybody else? Yeah, yeah. Third, if Kenobi and Yoda both know... Why aren't they coming back around to talk to anyone else? I thought the whole purpose of Yoda learning this was so he could train the next generation. So did he train Luke and then show up at Luke's training later? I mean, that was always something in Legends that drove me nuts. Was like, where is Yoda's force ghost? Clearly Ben, when Zahn wrote him in, was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go off with the rest of the spirits. I'm not going to come anymore. <laughs> What's Yoda been doing? He's been <laughs> practicing for this. I went all the way through the new Jedi Order going, okay, clearly this is a threat big enough. Yoda's force ghost should come back and say, hey, uh, you might want to wake up. <laughs> Some bad things are happening. No. And so now I'm like, okay, what are we doing? Are we doing the same thing here with canon? Like, are we going to utilize these damn Force Ghosts ever? Because the whole point was for Yoda to be able to pass along the teachings after he died. And mm. he really didn't do much with Luke, unless we're going to get some comic that explains that, like, oh, you know, Luke went back to Dagobah and spent another two years with Yoda after the fact to, you know, perfect everything, which I don't think is going to happen. So... I, I don't know. Sometimes I think like the whole aspects of the Force Ghosts, Lucas didn't give enough of it down in the beginning, and therefore Legends kind of rolled with it in a really weird way. And then he went back and was like, oh, no, no, no. Not everybody can be Force Ghosts. Like, oh, no. <laughs> and at that point, we already had like Jedi and the new Jedi Order that had died and were coming back as Force Ghosts. Like, wait, they can't? Ah, oh, crap. Like, so it threw so much into an off-kilter moment that it's like either they need to define it more or leave it the hell completely alone. And I feel like they're going to start to define it more 
uh, you know, I, I'm trying to think which book it was. I was just reading a book where they were talking about. Oh, oh, it was. Uh, it was Empire's End where huh. they were talking about it, where they had these kids that were being haunted by some ghosts of some force, some force Sith users, some dark side users. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like they don't, they don't tell you much about it. And I'm like, wait, I thought that was something legends messed with that. We weren't going to mess with Canon yet. Now we're introducing that again. We've got night sisters that their ghosts are coming back around. Oh wait, we're going to say that that's not the force. It's just a different magical thing. Now it's still the force. So there's still force ghosts. So again, I guess that aspect of they keep introducing stuff that doesn't quite work. So I'm either hoping we're going to get more of some Force Ghosts with Ben and Yoda, or they just drop it completely. Because the first and foremost is, when did Qui-Gon learn, and why didn't he tell anybody? <laughs> yeah, that's good. What do you think, Seth? So, mine is all just speculatory. Um, Qui-Gon was obviously a great Jedi. And so that leads me to believe that the ability to become a Force Ghost isn't necessarily a light side tactic might not be necessarily a dark side tactic, but it's in that gray area for sure. Mm. And that's why Qui-Gon was able to learn it. And it wasn't until after everything had happened that Yoda's eyes are finally open and Obi-Wan's eyes are finally open. And now they're open to, you know, they realize that the, the way the Jedi have been working hasn't been the right way to run the Jedi Order. Mm. You know, and then I think, we're, like you said, you keep talking about we're going to see that in this new upcoming movie, Episode 8. Um, and so it was then, only then, that... Qui-Gon was finally able to appear to them and say, listen, now that you see what's happened, I could teach you how to do this because you realize that there was more than the force than just the light side. Yeah. Um, and then a little kind of irony I wanted to put in that is, you know, Plagueis was able to save other people, but not himself. And here the Jedi are, they're able to become force ghosts and live mm -hmm. on forever. I think that's a little bit of irony right there, but... Absolutely. Well, you know, something that's funny that it reminds me of is the epilogue for the rise and fall of Darth Vader. And it's all initially there was darkness for Anakin Skywalker, a boundless shadowy realm like a universe without stars. But then from somewhere at the edge of his awareness, he perceived a distant shimmering light, then heard a voice say, Anakin. The voice was familiar. Although Anakin had no longer had a body or a mouth with which to speak, he somehow answered, Obi-Wan? Master? I'm so sorry. So very, very... Anakin, listen carefully, Obi-Wan interrupted, and Anakin was aware of the distant light that was either growing brighter or closer, or perhaps both. You are in the netherworld of the Force, but if you ever wish to revisit corporeal space, then I still have one thing left to teach you, a way to become one with the Force. If you choose this path to immortality, then you must listen now, before your consciousness fades. Knowing he was beyond redemption, Anakin said, But, Master, why me? Because you ended the horror, Anakin. Obi-Wan said, because you fulfilled the prophecy. The light was very bright now. Anakin's first thought was that he might be able to hear his children or see his children again. Then he said, thank you, Master. And I always thought that was really cool because of oh. all the Legends things, this is the only thing that gave us how Anakin's Force Ghost came to be. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's really interesting. Cool. I never heard that. Yeah, me either. So, here's my take on top of your guys' takes. I feel like becoming a Force Ghost, so I like the fact that you said it's gray, because I feel like it's actually more of a Sith thing than a Jedi thing. Now, now this is the reason why I say that. Um, I feel like the Sith want to control things for their own benefit, right? They're trying to be, they're more selfish in their execution. And the Jedi are supposed to be more like, let the Force do its work. Kind of like how you talked about earlier, Mark. And so Yoda, near the beginning of the film, in, in regards to death, is trying to reassure Anakin, like, don't mourn people. Like, they just become one with the Force. Like, becoming one with the Force is amazing. Like, you should become one with the Force. Blah, 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 blah. It's such a <laughs> great thing. 
But then it's like, oh, but we can we can so, like get around that. Like we can cheat that. Oh, we should totally do that. Like <laughs> it's just a, it's just slightly weird to me that it's like the will of the force should be what the will of the force is. But if we can manipulate the force to come back, it just seems like such much more of a Sith thing than a Jedi thing. And I feel like mm-hmm. the explanation at the end of end of Revenge is just for the sole purpose of people not going. Well, wait a minute. What about Force Ghosts? What's mm. up with that? So I feel like it's like a throwaway, like a kind of like a oh, you guys realize that we better say that like because a bunch of these Jedi who are being Order sixty six aren't like coming back as Force Ghosts, we better say that it's only something that certain people can do. And guess what? Qui Gon learned it, so then therefore we can learn it. So um, I don't love the execution of it either, um, and I feel like it's more of just like a throwaway thing. But mm. that's kind of my take on it. Legends would take and give us force ghosts that were Sith, but they were trapped to things, trapped to places, uh, you know, Mm. things of that nature. But they also Mm. gave us, like, we had one Sith Lord that was a floating head. Like his head was pre- perfectly preserved. Like, what the hell? Like, and then you've got Darth Ruin that his body was all crumbling apart, and he was holding it together with the the power of the Force. And then, of course, you got Darth Revan who split his dark side completely. Like, they have really messed with things like that. That I'm, I constantly, I'm like, do I want to see something similar like that happen in Legends? So that's where I'm like on the fence. Like, on one hand, I would love to see a Force Yoda show up in the next one. Like, you know, Luda's like, or Luke's like, I only know one thing. It's time for the Jedi to end. Oh, you're foolish. You are. You don't know nothing. Like. <laughs> I don't know. Like I go back and forth on one hand. I'm like, we don't need to ruin the mystery, but on the other, I'm kind of like, we've already ruined it. We got to spell it out a little more to get the mystery back. Maybe Luke has just been order 66 ing all the force ghosts. (laughs) 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 Uh, All right. Got two questions left and then we'll do a short wrap up. Um, So one of the things that I found interesting this time around when I watched the film was that, uh, Plagueis was sort of condemned for using the dark side to save the lives of others. At least we kind of get that feeling is that he's being condemned for that or even creating life. Um, Yet it seems like such a light side thing to do, right? Like creating life, healing, like those kinds of things seem like a really light side thing to do. Um, Especially when you have the Jedi using mind tricks to deceive others and seeking immortality to be force ghosts. So it's just sort of a weird dynamic that's set up there. And I just wanted to see what your guys' reactions were to that. So Nathan, why don't we start with you? Well, okay, so two things. First of all, I think he basically just said something like keep people from dying or extending life or something. So he's not necessarily even talking about healing. So we don't really even know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And he does seem to imply that the Jedi would say it's unnatural. So like, we don't even know if, if it's anything you'd really want to do to your loved ones, you know, maybe it's, is it some sort of like zombie thing Mm. or who knows? I mean, so it's not like, Hey, we can, we can heal people. That's bad. (laughs) You know, so that it's hard to know. Um, But also, even if it wasn't, I mean, again, we don't really know that, that specifically is why the Jedi would be unhappy with the Sith, you know, because they, they have a lot of other reasons to be unhappy with the Sith. So <laughs> even if, even if they maybe do some things that maybe aren't completely evil, I, you know, I don't think that matters a whole lot. Um, although creating life, that does make a lot more sense as falling under the unnatural category. It, you know, it's, it is a pretty big, like direct manipulation <laughs> of, 
of the force um, for your own ends. So, although although they're not the Jedi are not super concerned even when the clones are created, and the clones are created to be automatons to a certain degree because they're created to execute any command that's given to them, and the Jedi are kind of like. Well, that's probably not the best idea, but let's go ahead and use them. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> it's just very strange. Anyways. Uh, yeah, I always thought the clones dying would be something that would perverse the Force. I mean, you've got one life dying over and over and over and over and over again. Like, that's got to screw it up somehow. Yeah, that's a good take. I like well, that. Well, in the Clone Wars, you see Yoda in the very first episode. Yoda talks to the clones, and he says, you know, look the same you do, but in the Force, different you are. So each mm-hmm. clone is different in the Force. Hmm. That would be my argument against that. They have like a spirit. Yeah. Difference. Well, because again, you know, twins don't yeah. theoretically share the same force spirit. Exactly. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Mark? What do you think about this this dichotomy of light side, dark side, Plagueis? Well, I think Plagueis being condemned, that's definitely a legend's angle right now. Uh, I don't think we know enough about the Sith to confirm whether or not them using the light side would be something that we consider not okay. Ah. Uh, but I honestly feel like the Sith, unlike the Jedi, would use all the tools in their arsenal, like I said before. They just wouldn't limit themselves to one side. Um, so I would see, like, in that regard, like, healing yourself would be the ultimate way. Like, if you're going to die, the Jedi are going to take you out. Like, if your only ability is to use the light side thing to keep yourself alive, that would be the no-brainer, I would think. Um, and I think it was Nathan, maybe it was Seth, that had said the same thing about, you know, creating life being unnatural. Uh, and that would be why, you know, that one doesn't work. And it's in Legends with uh, Legacy, where you've got Cade Skywalker, which is like the great, great or great, great, great grandson of Luke, who uses the dark side to heal. Hmm. Uh, and it's an ability that Lord Krayat is desperately trying to get his hands on because he's been infected with a Vong virus that's slowly killing him. And if he could just use Cade's ability... But the problem with the ability is it puts Cade so close to the dark side. I mean, his eyes light up like a Sith and everything. Mm-hmm. And yet it's it's the aspect of how selfish he's being. You know, he could do like Yoda said and let these people move on, but he's choosing to take it on himself to keep him alive. And I think that that's the aspect of the creating life. Like, you know, we assume, well, just because life's created by the Force, therefore it must be inherently good. Well, we also know that, you know, predators exist. And, and, and I think it was Vergere talking to Jason, talking, you know, like when the monster eats the prey is the, is the prey acting out the dark side or is it acting out the light side because it needs to eat to live Mm. uh so you know there's all those aspects that come into the fold there that canon and i I say thankfully they really haven't messed with it that much legends definitely was playing with that that whole you know the ends justify the means but legends you know they ran freely with that whereas canon they're playing a little tighter to the chest Mm. that's good seth you have anything to comment on yeah i i'm more with uh nathan on this where you know, going off the zombie thing, it, it seems very, uh, like, necromancy to me. Mm. Um, and necromancy just automatically makes me think of bad guys. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just based off all the stereotypes that we've seen. Um, and going to a Legends character, Darth Sion, who uses the Force, the dark side of the Force, to come back alive. Um, it's very, very painful. Mm. And, I, Jay, I think we were talking about this the other day. Um and, you know, every time he got killed, he would use it to come back and then it'd be more and more painful. And if that's the case, if you save these people from dying or if you bring them back alive, is it going to be painful for them? Just yeah. like how it was with Darth Sion. And if that's the case, then that seems very inhumane. Yeah. You know, it's better to just put someone out of their misery and, and let them become one with the Force, like Yoda would say. Right. So that's, I guess that's a... A bare bones of my take on it. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's exactly what happened to the person that Cade saved. She ended up becoming like Vader, stuck in a suit, and hated mm. him for it. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I actually had similar notes. Even the fact that I brought up the question, I actually... My guess, if I had to put forth a guess, is that either one of the two things, the person is pretty scarred when they come back. Yeah. Or you have to drain the life of someone else, right? This is a pretty common theme. Like, Mm -hmm. to stay alive as a vampire, you've got to be draining life from other people to be able to keep yourself alive. So I think that that could be a theme that would run through that. See, and, and I'm glad you bring that up because that's you something too. with Anakin and Padme yep. I was that just was brought say up. That. Yeah. <laughs> that, that the connection, like, and they had it when KOTOR with uh, Bastila and Revan and Revan and Kriya, oh, yeah. how they formed these force bonds. And the thought was that as Anakin was laying and dying, he was reaching out through the force and clinging to whatever he could to survive and not realizing that he was robbing Padme of her life yep. force. Mm. Yeah. And, and even in the movie, you have to listen very, very carefully, but Anakin's heart stops for a second. And then when Padme dies, his heart starts beating again. Yep. And it, yeah, so it's almost as if in order to give Anakin or Darth Vader at this point life, Padme had to die. And it goes back yeah. to how they're like, we understand she's perfectly fine, but she's dying somehow. Right. So he it's had the to get fan the life theory course. like uh, Stan Lee being the Watcher. We're just all waiting for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 to come and make it officially canon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome. wouldn't that be something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a whole other topic, though. <laughs> so this last question, and Nathan and I are going to do like a prequel wrap-up episode, just a short one. But um, this kind of question gets kind of at that type of in that type of um, sphere. And that is that the prequels are very Shakespearean in nature. I think we've brought that up already. Um, Eric Anakin's arc is a tragedy. And so what impact, positive or negative, do you think the prequel trilogy has on the Star Wars saga? And I'll start with you, Mark, on this one. So this one I hadn't thought about until recently with the whole Last of the Jedi trailer coming out and Luke's Mm. comments. But while the tragedy of Anakin is foremost in the prequel trilogy, I truly believe the actual tragedy is the loss of the Jedi. Unlike Legends, the Jedi don't really come back now. I mean, Luke Skywalker even says it's time for the Jedi to end. And it really, it starts in the prequels. Hmm. Hmm. There you go. So, you, so, so that would lead you to believe that, what do you think Luke's take is on the prequel Jedi? See, and that's what is going to be interesting. Uh we know he goes out looking for early Jedi temples. So I kind of get the feeling what we're going to find out is that Luke's going to be under the impression that Palpatine was right to a degree. I think that he's going to discover that the Jedi were once something more than what they limited themselves to be. And I, I truly think there was going to be a schism at some point and that's what caused it. And that Luke is going to discover that by going back far enough to realize there was something before Jedi, something before Sith, and that something has been lost due to the conflict between the light versus the dark, which should have never been a battle in the first place. Mm. 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 Interesting. Good point. What do you think, Seth? Um, yeah, I, I agree that these are very Shakespearean. Um, the whole movie is very, it's probably the saddest movie out of all of them. Um, you know, you see, you have Anakin's whole tragic story, which we've dove into. Um, you have the fall of the Republic and democracy. You see the emotion turmoil that Obi-Wan and Padme have to go through, and, and Yoda, too. Um, you see the end of pretty much all the Jedi, and then you see the death of Padme, and then the rise of the Sith, and it all happens within, like, 30 minutes. Mm. And so, it's it's very, looking at it that way, it's very, very tragic. And I almost wonder if it would have a bigger impact had Lucas 
done episode one, two, three rather than four, five, six first. Mm. Uh, I think it probably would have had a bigger impact. Mm. Um, and I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know because I saw the movies in a really weird order. I saw four, one, two, five, six, and then three. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. That so is the most unique viewing pattern I've heard. <laughs> But the reason for that is, you know, when episode one came out, I was like five years old. So mm-hmm. I know that makes me sound super, super young. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah, it just, I, I wonder how that would have played out had you seen it, you know, pan out that way. And that's all of a sudden the end of all of your favorite characters just suddenly just die and yeah. evil takes over. So, yeah. yeah. Nathan, what do you think? Yeah, my notes are pretty similar um, in that... Yeah, you know, basically everyone knew the prequels were going to be about Anakin falling to the dark side. So there's not there's not a whole lot new with that, except for the specifics. But one of the more interesting parts that came out of it is kind of the examining the Jedi Order itself, you know, especially their rules about attachment and love, and because that comes up in every single movie, and how basically it... Palpatine uses that to lead to their downfall and then and then Luke and Vader are able to use that to lead to the Sith's downfall. It's interesting how that just kind of weaves throughout the whole thing as a as an underlying theme and again kind of ties back into Luke's actions in the original trilogy. Yeah, it's interesting that that's in there aside from it just being like the story of Anakin. Hmm. Yeah, I think Without trying to get too deep into it, I do think that the prequels are... I think the prequels are a very cool addition to the Star Wars saga. I think... I'm, I'm pretty disappointed that... that the Phantom Menace and the Attack of the Clones had some significant issues with them um, that have put a sort of a cloud over the prequels. Um, particularly with people of my age. Because um, I'm... Not twice as old as Seth, but close. And <laughs> that means that uh, that I I wasn't I wasn't alive when the first Star Wars came out, so I, I saw them as a young kid. But um, I think that they they have some different elements that make them challenging, right? That's, that's I think that's that's fair to say. But I think that there's some themes in there that, like we talked about with the other two movies, that if expanded upon even more would have the emotional resonance that Revenge of the Sith has. Um, slavery being yeah. like discussed in more depth, brought up not in the context of also having a Jar Jar character nearby. Scrap really Jar Jar and we'd be okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I think that, that the prequels actually, especially with Revenge of the Sith, add a lot to the overall um, arc of the Skywalker family and the entire saga. So I think that they have an overall positive uh, effect on it. Um, and I think the interesting thing for me as we look at the prequels, and I don't know what George was exploring, but you know, when we call ourselves the story geeks, part of it is saying like, how do stories impact culture? How do stories impact us as human beings and part of it for me is watching George Lucas wrestle with different themes mm-hmm. so, so he set out to make movies about um, mythology right and he started to do that and he started to make some in fact the original trilogy is predominantly Eastern mysticism yeah but then when you hear him talk about the prequels and when you see what some of the things that he included in the prequels he's actually exploring a little bit more I think 
the Judeo-Christian sort of how politics in the Roman Empire worked in association mm-hmm. with the spirituality of the Roman Empire and how that was negative. So he's playing with these different methodologies and like bringing out like different stories about, and you know, I've even heard him in interviews like after the prequel area talk about how Jedi are this and they're that and they're this and they're that. And then he'll end the, he'll end the statement with like, Oh, now let us pray. Like as a joke. Right. <laughs> um, and I think, I think what he's trying to do is he's just trying to explore these th- themes to like see what happens kind of like, and so I am in Mark's camp with the reason the Jedi have to end is because the discovery, you know, there's a lot of times like when you, when you look at like, you know, if you, uh, let's say you go and you read the Bible and you read the teachings of Jesus and you're like, Oh wow, this is like transformative. And this is like really interesting. And like, there's so much depth here and wisdom on how to be, but then you go and look at the church (laughs) and you would go like, uh, they're not doing very well. (laughs) They're not really following this the way that they should be a lot of times. And I think that's almost what I feel like Luke is going to identify. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The order that we created, because we created it and the force didn't create it, is automatically corrupt in some ways. And so we have to end the order and restart with something different, even maybe if it's more personal and not so corporate, so to speak. So I'm kind of with Mark in that regard from that perspective. And we'll just see, I guess, where it shapes out because Lucas is no longer governing these. Yeah. So maybe the same people who are writing it were not thinking about or considering the same things that he was thinking. So any final thoughts as we end the Revenge of the Sith uh, episode? Any final thoughts about the movie or anything else you guys want to bring up? Hmm. Well, there's a lot. You should go read. read the book. <laughs> I need to read the book. 100% need to read the book. I mean, I love it and I hate it because it gives you more to work with. But for just like the average person, you, you have to do more research to fully enjoy the prequels. Right. You know, you really have to like read the books and read the comics and all the things that goes behind it. Some of it, which isn't even canon anymore. Right. And it really helps make the prequels be better. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate, but it's also fortunate because that gives you more Star Wars, you know, yeah, which is never totally, a bad thing. Totally. I want to say a big thank you to Mark and to Seth for joining us today. Yeah. Nathan and I are, are very grateful that you guys took the time out of your day to join us. Definitely. And um, any final thoughts for the listeners out there? Mark, do you want to promote some of your stuff? And Seth, do you want to promote some of your stuff? Yeah, well, you can find all of our stuff over at StarWarsReport.com, our second Airborne podcast. We've got a whole bunch of them on there, all right there. I'm Illogical Rogue 2 on Twitter, Facebook, and PlayStation 4. Nice. Nice. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me today. I enjoyed this. This was a blast. Um, anytime I have the chance to talk about Star Wars, I just, I just love to geek out. <laughs> um, and then I'm sure you guys have already heard the commercial. You know, just Urban Vinyl, that's my company. Um, all you got to do is urbanvinyl.org. Uh, I think the, the link will be in the description. Mm-hmm. And then use promo code J for your 15% off. And for those of you who have bought, thank you so much. And I hope you guys are enjoying them. Absolutely. They are seriously the best headphones I've ever used. No question. Well, thank you. All right, that is it for today's podcast. Special thanks to Nathan Sheck, Seth Fontaine, and Mark Herleman for joining me today. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org, or you can cut and paste that email address from the show notes. Also, be sure to check out Mark Herleman's podcasts, Star Wars Report, and Star Wars Beyond the Films, and be sure to check out Seth Fontaine's headphone company, Urban Vinyl. All the links to those should be in the show notes as well. 
make sure that you subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts, including the rest of the shows in our Star Wars series. Go hit the subscribe button right now. And while you're there, if you have an extra minute, write us an iTunes review. That is it for today's show. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth. We'll catch all of you story geeks on the next podcast.